2 Timothy 2, 8-13 Remember Christ Jesus, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying, If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Uh, well, it's, um, it's good to be back with you, uh, and this time uh, opening up God's word with you. Um, this week here at St. Matt's, we've been um, feasting on this theme of mission. Um, I'm not sure if you were here last week, but we had Tom, he opened up the word for us, and we had a look at Matthew chapter 9 and 10, and what he did was it, was, it was pretty good in my mind, he actually prepared this foundation for not only thinking about mission, but also participating in mission. Um, and if you didn't hear that sermon, go back and have a listen. Um, it, it was worth it. Um, and then on Wednesday night, uh, did anyone come on Wednesday night? Yeah. Um, um, ben, he gave us a, a, a cracking... Um, um, biographical talk on Helen Rosevere, and she was a British missionary who went to the Congo mid-last century, um, and we heard of a remarkable story of a woman who was faithful, uh, who was obedient, and who was courageous, all of which was found in a life of, of terrible strife uh, and deep suffering. I think what Ben um, showed us was how her story offers us a, a wonderful insight into how God works through people who are relentlessly faithful to him. Um, and likewise, if you, if you didn't get to hear it, uh, check it out. It was, it was remarkably encouraging. And, and Ben gave a little spiel at the beginning saying that was the point, to be challenged and to be encouraged, and, and it did in my mind. Which brings us to us um, to, to this moment tonight. Um, in our time together, what I want us to do is reflect upon the question, why? Why mission? But also to kind of dabble into the question, what, of mission as well. And of course, they're simple questions, aren't they? But they kind of get quite messy the, the further you go in. But that's what I want to do tonight. And, and what we're going to do is we're going to have a um, work through the passage that Jill read out for us. And we're going to see the way that Paul engages these kinds of questions in a bit of a different kind of way. But before we do that, I think it's right that we come to our Heavenly Father and pray. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, we know that your heart is for your creation and your heart is for uh, your creatures specifically. Um, that you saw us in our sin and that you came after us by sending your son into this world so that by faith in him we might have life. Um, we want to have hearts for this world like you have hearts for us. And so tonight I pray that you will continue by your spirit um, transform us through our minds that our hearts would be um, deeply inclined to love this world as you love it and the people who are in it, that we might be ambassadors for the gospel um, as you desire us to be. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, when the time is short, we cut to the chase, don't we? Um, we, we get to the point. Our explanations, you know, um, um, they become um, shortened. Our tone, it becomes untempered. Uh, speed is necessary. And above all things, clarity is priority. Uh, reflect on uh, that terrifying scene where a child is running down a hill chasing a ball onto a busy road. Um, you and your friends, the responsible adults, of course, don't just look at each other and begin to search for a, a set of compelling, upbuilding words to communicate to the child how disadvantageous it is to continue that course down the hill towards the road um, where they might um, perish. I mean, that's absurd, isn't it? No, we, we find as few words as possible to communicate as loudly as possible and as quickly as possible to punctuate the moment because there is time only for what is necessary. When time is short, we cut to the chase. Our, our, our focus is sharpened. Our mind becomes one track. Our heart has a singular desire And what comes out of our mouths reflects that focus. Um, This is the context. This is how we find the Apostle Paul in his second letter to Timothy. Uh, As we read through the letter, we learn that Paul believed that his death was imminent. The context is that um, he had been arrested in Jerusalem and transported to Rome Uh, where he was locked up under house arrest. He had already faced one trial and no one had appeared to defend him. And now he was waiting for his next trial. He was um, lonely and he was helpless. Uh, We see this in chapter 4, verse 6. This is what Paul says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. And in the next verse, he goes on to say that I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. He's a man near the end. In this time, when time is short, Paul writes to Timothy. Like a father on his deathbed, Paul writes his last words, which begin with heartfelt tenderness. In chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Dear Timothy, to Timothy, my dear child. And he goes on in the first chapter to speak like a father, handing over the family business to the oldest son, encouraging him to boldly carry it on, um, to take the knowledge that he's father in the faith had refined uh, and believed, of course, and treasured, and to keep it uh, and to guard it. Uh, Listen to Paul's words in chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. What you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching, with faith and in love and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. 
And in the next chapter, Paul goes on to encourage Timothy not to keep the family treasure in the family, but to share it and to find people who can help him to do that. And so there are these, there's a wonderful verse in chapter 2, verse 2, that is Paul's vision for longevity and growth. Paul says this, And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. That's the context. And then Paul, he cuts to the chase. In the next verse, chapter 2, verse 3, he makes his request. Uh, and there's no couching, there's no hedging, there's no tiptoeing on eggshells. He's, he's not going to dance around the issue, just crystal clear clarity. A request that is unmistakable, an invitation that can't be misinterpreted. Uh, it's ashes season, so for the diehard cricketers out there, this is for you. We're talking about a delivery with perfect line and length. Yeah, Something that you must play at. You can't leave it. It can't be ignored. Something that, as a batter, it captures your attention. A ball that demands our response. Now back to our passage. An invitation that calls for, demands our reply. Paul says to Timothy in chapter 2, verse 3, he says, Join with me in suffering. Timothy, join with me in suffering. What's interesting is that this is not the first time that he's invited Timothy to join in suffering. Because previously in chapter 1 verse 8, he says exactly the same thing. Join with me in suffering. Now I've never been, I've never seen a Bible college or a church or a mission agency with that kind of motto. Um, prepare people, preparing people to suffer or sending people to suffer. You don't see that, do you? It's because it's not the best marketing strategy. You see, I don't have any degrees uh, in the field of sales and marketing, um, but I gather that Paul, he, he's got his methodology right. You tell people about the result and then you gently tell them what they need to do to achieve the result. You know, you, you lure them with the carrot and then you, you bring in what's needed in order to get the carrot. But I think you can see the problem with, with Paul's use of this method here. Paul's carrot uh, is more like a rotten tomato, Right? You don't get a million dollars, you don't um, get lower power bills, you don't get a trip for two to Paris, you don't even get a buy one, get one free. Now, in front of Timothy's nose, Paul is dangling suffering. Join with me in suffering. Which surely raises the question, why? Yeah? Why would Timothy willingly join with Paul in suffering? Because at first glance, it doesn't strike me as an obvious course worth pursuing. 
uh, when we turn to our, uh, our attention to Paul's response and our passage for today, uh, we see that Paul gives us a number of reasons um, why one might in, um, join in with the suffering. And, and this forms a kind of logic. And what I want you to grasp is how this logic lies at the heart of the business that Paul is passing on to, to, to Timothy. It's this logic of the business that I want you to grasp tonight and take home with you. Can I get the slide up there um, so you can see these verses as we, as we go through them? The first reason Paul is suffering and the reason why Timothy should join him is stated very simply by Paul. He does not beat about the bush, he cuts to the chase. At the end of verse 8 and the beginning of verse 9, Paul says, This is my gospel for which I am suffering. And earlier, back in chapter 1, we saw, we see the same thing. And it's just as simple. He says, join with me in suffering for the gospel. It's a straight up repetition. So what is the gospel, Paul's gospel, for which he is suffering? Well, again, have a look at verse 8. He's very succinct. Probably the most succinct version of the gospel you find in all of his letters. Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. Now, the point to which I want to draw your attention is what is newsworthy about Paul's gospel. Notice there's no carrot in Paul's gospel. Where's the salvation? Where's the, where's the, the eternal life, the new creation, the resurrected body? Where's heaven? It's not there. And notice there is no work to achieve the carrot. There's no repentance and there's no faith. You see what's going on here? Paul's gospel is comprised of a person. Jesus Christ, and an event, Jesus' resurrection. And notice that these two things don't stand as abstract truths out there. No, they're couched in Israelite history, particularly the story of King David. When Paul is on his deathbed, when Paul is on his deathbed, when death is on Paul's doorstep, he cuts to the chase. He invites Timothy to um, share in suffering because of the news that Jesus Christ has defeated death. Because of the news that the promised king, the Messiah, reigns. And because of the news that this changes everything. But it's not immediately evident to me why this news leads to suffering. Because after all, um, suffering is already ours as we struggle in our bodies of death. You know, I know. As we live in a world that's groaning under the weight of sin and death. You see, if anything, the gospel leads to ways of living in suffering differently. It's remarkable to see people who live in light of the gospel in the face of suffering Gospel fruit, like hope and patience and love and kindness and forgiveness and joy. They reposition them and us in the face of suffering. 
It's because of the gospel that we suffer differently. See, after all, isn't isn't this the beauty of the gospel in the present as we wait for what is not yet to arrive? The arrival of Jesus Christ and our own bodily resurrection? You see, the gospel brings life as hope. That's Paul in Romans 8. Our hope of a future reality of not suffering. The gospel brings hope as life. Um, And that's what here we're, we're learning from Paul. So what about the gospel leads to Paul's suffering? And his invitation to Timothy to join him in it. Well, I mentioned earlier that Paul, he was uh, transported from Jerusalem to Rome, where he lived under house arrest, uh, where he was probably bound um, um, to a guard with a chain. So when he says that he was being chained like a criminal because of the gospel, he's not speaking metaphorically. Prior to being taken to Rome... Paul had returned to Jerusalem from a missionary um, journey around Turkey and Greece. And news about Paul had already arrived in Jerusalem when he got back there. Specifically, news that angered many Jews who were committed to the law and the temple as God's means of purification and a righteous life. Um, And of course, this leads to Paul's arrest. Let me read a couple of verses that sets the scene for us. Acts 21, verses 27 and 28. Just listen to this. Some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple in Jerusalem. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone, everywhere, against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. The basic point here is not what they claim Paul taught, because we already know the content of Paul's gospel, what he teaches. Now, the point is that Paul's listeners were offended by what Paul proclaimed. We learn here that the gospel was the reason for his suffering. The gospel offended people who in turn persecuted him, handing him over to the Romans to be tried in the courts. And so now with Paul in jail waiting his second trial, with the probable judgment of guilt and execution hanging over his head, Paul invites Timothy to share, in, share with him in this suffering by proclaiming news that offends people. Now, let's be clear. This is not an invitation to offend people. No, this is an invitation to get the news right such that people are offended about the right thing. This is an invitation to get the news right such that when we are persecuted, we get persecuted for the right thing. And Paul is clear 
what the right thing is. Of course, it's the gospel. It's not a system of morality that he wishes the Romans would adopt. It's not a a vision for a, a better Roman society, but the news of a person, Jesus Christ, and an event, his resurrection, the fulfillment of God's promise to Israel. When time is short... Paul is concerned that Timothy suffers for the gospel, just like he is. But this doesn't answer our question, does it? The question why still matters. Why would Timothy suffer with Paul for the gospel? Sure, to preach the news that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's defeated death, but the question is still begging. I'm suffering enough as it is. I'm enjoying the fruit of the gospel that brings me life in the midst of suffering. Why would I proclaim the gospel that offends people, which induces more suffering? And Paul's response to this question surprises me. We might expect Paul to say something like this. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Right? That would make sense. In other words, why suffer for the gospel? Well, for the sake of Jesus, of course. But notice that's not what he says. He asks Timothy to join him in suffering by proclaiming an offensive gospel. Why? Well, for the sake of those who do not yet know Jesus. Look at verse 10 there. Therefore, I enjoy everything for the sake of the elect, those who God is going to reach down and change their hearts. You see, we're getting to the heart of the business logic. The invitation is not to do a task. He's not asking Timothy to evangelize, to go on mission, or to proclaim the gospel. The invitation is to suffer for the elect by proclaiming the gospel. That's why Paul's dying request is not join with me in suffering, join with me in sharing the gospel, but join with me in suffering. It's ever so subtle, isn't it? But it gets our our expectations right. It gets our motives right. Paul is asking Timothy to suffer with him to share the offensive news of the reign of Jesus Christ for the sake of those who do not yet know Jesus. You see, Paul is focusing Timothy on what matters. When time is short, Paul wants Timothy's mind to be one-tracked, his heart to have one desire, and for his words to reflect that. You see, he doesn't want Timothy to get caught up in stuff that's distracting, and Paul, and Paul talks about it in other parts of the letter. But what he wants Timothy to do is to see these people who are running down the hill towards the road, towards their death. He wants to see these people for who they are. 
people who have names, people who have families, people who have jobs, but also as people who do not yet know Jesus because they have not yet heard the gospel proclaimed to them. But I insist on the question, why? Why would Timothy share in suffering by sharing the gospel with those who don't yet know Jesus? Why? Well, we finally arrive at the carrot, if you like. Why endure everything for those who do not yet know Jesus? Uh, Well, quite simply, so they can enjoy, like you, a destiny that's characterised by life and hope rather than death and hopelessness. Listen to how Paul describes this life at the end of our passage here. I'm going to read 8, 9 and 10. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul's invitation to Timothy to suffer in the present with him is so that others might enjoy eternal glory, salvation. You see, what we're learning here is the connection between suffering and glory. That suffering is the path to glory. That suffering is the path to glory. But the specific point that Paul is making concerns who suffers and who receives glory. You see, the principle that drives this business is very simple. One suffering leads to another's glory. One's suffering leads to another's glory. I want you to take that home with you. One's suffering leads to another's glory. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, I'm more than happy to suffer for my reward, for my glory. But would I suffer for another's reward? Would I suffer for another's reward? What would I suffer for another's reward? Would I suffer for another's reward of eternal glory? We heard what Helen Roosevelt suffered for another's reward on Wednesday night and it brought tears to some of our eyes. My friend, who some of you might know, is going back into Afghanistan, I thought it was this weekend, but it's actually this week, um, She's been there since 2008. She got out when the Taliban came back in and she's going back in this week. What would she suffer for another's reward? It's pretty clear, isn't it, what she would suffer for another's reward? It's quite clear. Because she has accepted the invitation to join in suffering for the elect in that country. 
And is this not also Paul's testimony? He is about to die for proclaiming the gospel so that some others around Turkey and Greece might know and, and believe in the good news about Jesus and enjoy salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. That's what's going to happen to Paul too. You see, when time is short and Paul must cut to the chase, he now invites Timothy to suffer for another's glory. He invites Timothy to die with him so that others might live. You see, that's the crux of the message here. Join with me in suffering so that others might live. That invitation is for me and for you. Um, And it's not just for the young singles, like my friend who's heading into Afghanistan, or for Jill who's also in the Middle East. It's it's also for young couples, like like Sam and Shamila when they first arrived, going back. They didn't have um, Isabel, but um, it's for young couples. But it's also for families, you know, with four and five kids. The Krillmans headed out there with four kids. And it's also for those who are older. I have a teammate um, who came to join us when she was 64. She's now 84. Um, and, of course, um, another one of your mission partners are the Buckers, and they're in that part of the world too. Um, and they went onto the field once their children had left home. The invitation to join in suffering so that others might live is for us, wherever we are in our life. Will we join in suffering along with, uh, uh, with these people, along with Paul and Timothy before him, so that others might live? I want to conclude where Paul begins, because we're still left with the question, why? Proclaiming the gospel is a good reason to suffer. I think we agree. Um, Those who don't know the gospel, it's a good reason to suffer to share the gospel with them. I think we agree. Another's eternal glory, absolutely. That's a wonderful reason um, to share in suffering, by sharing the gospel. But I think we overlook an important aspect of the why if we don't begin where Paul begins. You see, Paul grounds his invitation to suffer for another on something even better. And it's very subtle, but it's there. It's the first word of our passage. The word remember. We see that in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. Why should Timothy suffer for another's glory? Because the gospel is not a simple fact. It's not an abstract idea out there. It actually has import for Timothy. The gospel applies to Timothy, which he has experienced Paul is saying, Timothy, don't forget that Jesus suffered for you, for your glory. Remember that? 
Remember that your life was won through Jesus' faithfulness in the face of suffering. Remember Jesus, he drank the bitter cup to the end. That's how it was described in the Gospels. You see, this is God's plan. This is God's business. This is how it works. Suffering's a part of it. And that is why suffering does not hold the gospel back. Because it's through suffering that glory for another is won. Now, I think this unlocks that peculiar little phrase in the middle of our passage at the end of verse 9. Let me read 8 and 9 for us. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Suffering does not chain, does not chain the gospel because suffering is God's means by which he will glorify people in this world which is why Paul invites Timothy to suffer with him and this is where I want to leave it today with Paul's stripped back urgent plea for people to join with him in suffering for those who do not yet know Jesus We need two kinds of people that do the same thing. The first kind of person we need is someone to stay here who will remember the gospel and who will proclaim that gospel so that others might experience salvation and glory so that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. We need these people who will suffer with Paul. Notice that Timothy uh, was a leader of a local church. He may have gone somewhere. Paul may have been calling him out to mission, but he was a minister of a church in Ephesus. Paul's talking to him to suffer in that location with Paul. But we also need another kind of person who does the same thing and they go. To go and join in suffering. Like Paul. Remember Paul, he was you know, doing his missionary journeys. Where did he want to go? He wanted to go to Rome, but not under those circumstances, to share the gospel. And then he wanted to go to Spain. This imprisonment and subsequent death kind of interrupted his desire to go to the farest reaches of the known world at the time. He wanted to go to the places in the world where there are people who have not yet heard the gospel so that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Will you be like Timothy or will you be like Paul? Let me end by reading our passage for us as you reflect upon it in terms of what we've heard and then I'm going to pray. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. 
This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you um, for your Son who suffered so that he might be glorified, that he might defeat death and come to life. Um, And thank you also that because of his death, he has won glory for us, our salvation, through faith in him. I pray that we would remember the beauty of who is Jesus for us, not as an abstract truth, but as something real into which we live, something that changes who we are and our destiny. And Lord, as we live um, in a context, both here and abroad, that is hostile in different kinds of ways, I pray that we would um, remember who we are in you, Um, that you have won for us salvation. But in the same way that you have won salvation for another through suffering, I pray that we will share in your suffering so that others might live, that we would proclaim the good news of the gospel, that Jesus is not dead but is alive and that matters today. I pray that you will help us to be bold and courageous Firstly, in making decisions as to where we will do this. I pray that you would prompt us to be discerning in the way that we think about this question. That we wouldn't assume one way or another, but that would be open to your spirit guiding us to stay or to go. So that we might proclaim the gospel wherever we are, so that people might believe. I pray that you would give us um, your spirit as uh, to guide us and to, to, to um, give us the kind of courage we need to make this decision and to follow it through so that you'd be glorified not only in our lives but in the lives of others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.